Don't you wish you were eight or ten years old? You could do that and you could sign up for next year and help. That's uh, it's going to be a cool, cool thing. Uh, it, great week. Like I said, this week was a crazy week. Um, last night we we celebrated the 175th anniversary of the church. We had a, a anniversary dinner, just a really, really neat night. Uh, if you were here at the beginning of service, we showed some pictures from that. Uh, just some cool stuff. And in the middle of this crazy week, um, on Friday, the Supreme Court made a decision that has the country kind of up in an uproar, right? Um, all kinds of stuff going on. I, I've been thinking because I, I just feel like I need to, um, to talk about that just for a second, um, in, in part to say that we've been planning a series that's going to start on July 12th, so it's two weeks from today, that's called Really God, with a question mark, Really God, that's all about what God says in His Word and how we make sense of some really critical things. So I want to encourage you to be here uh, July 12th, through the first week of August for that series, we're going we're gonna to deal with some stuff that's going on that's just, it's hard to figure out what, what God's doing and, and how all those pieces fit. Let me say about the decision several things. Um, for, for some of us here, when the, Supreme, when the Supreme Court made their ruling on Friday, there was this sense of, of despair, like how did we get to the place that we're at today? Um, and if that's where you are, Um, Let me just say this to you. God is still on his throne. God's in control of everything. And and, uh, frankly, um, it doesn't matter what goes on in our legal system, what goes on around us. Our call as followers of Jesus is to follow Jesus, regardless of the environment. It doesn't matter whether we live in the United States or Chile or China or Antarctica. God calls us to follow him in whatever circumstances, whatever culture we're in. There's, there are some here, I know, some who are part of North Point that, that are saying, man, yes, that ruling on Friday, that's incredible, that's a great thing. Um, un- I, I just want to say, if that's where you are, understand that there are people that disagree about that that aren't filled with hate and anger, that they just disagree about that. And, um, and so I'd encourage you to, to be tolerant in that. To, to extend grace for people who are at a different place than you are. And then there's probably some people here that are kind of like, what's the big deal? Why are we talking about this? Um, and I, to you, I just want to say, it really is a big deal. It's really a big deal on both sides. And this is what I would like for your prayer to be, really for all of our prayers to be. I, I, I would like for you to pray that the conversations that happen about the Supreme Court's ruling on Friday would be conversations that are filled with grace and that, and that through those conversations it would bring people ultimately to Jesus, no matter where they are. That, that God would work through what's going on to call people to Him. And, and I would encourage you to come for the series that starts July 12th because uh, uh, I'm, I'm just real jazzed about what God's teaching me. In the, through the preparation for that. Next Sunday, Mike Winter is going to speak. Um, it's 4th of July weekend, and no one is leaving town, all right? You, you all must be here. Uh, Mike Winter is going to speak. We're going to be here. We're, uh, we're going to be here for that. Mike is a guy who spoke back in January um, and uh, has spoke a couple of years ago here as well. I'm real excited to hear him and to, and to really have a chance to talk to him as well. So uh, we hope you'll be here and be a part of that. We finished today 
uh, our series called Turning Points that's from the book of Joshua. Turning Points. Um, and, and we're going to jump from Joshua chapter 7 all the way to Joshua 24 in just a second. Let me s- say this. If you've got your Bibles, take your Bibles out and go ahead and turn to Joshua 24. Um, if you don't have a Bible, let me just extend an offer to you today. Um, when you leave today, go out through the door to the Connect kiosk that's out there and say, uh, Rick said that, that there's a Bible that I could have. We would love to give you a Bible that you could put your name in, you could take home, you could read at home, you could write notes in, you can write questions in, you can underline, um, and just really dive into God's Word. Um, if you don't do... Uh, if you don't do paper anymore and do it electronically, if you don't have an app on your, uh, on, your, uh, on your mobile device or your smartphone, I'd encourage you to use Uversion. Uversion is, a, is a, um, an app that allows you to have the Bible on your phone or on your mobile app that um, has lots of translations. It's got lots of study plans, lots of Bible reading plans that you can be part of and, and take advantage of that as well. Because God's Word is really, really, really important. Um, Joshua 24 starts with Joshua speaking to the nation of Israel as God's spokesman. God's speaking through Joshua to talk to the nation of Israel. And he recounts the history of the nation of Israel. Um, He says, do you remember what happened with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And then how all of Jacob's descendants came to Egypt. And then in Egypt it turned into slavery. And I sent Moses and Aaron to come rescue you from that slavery and bring you out of Egypt. And I did. And you crossed through on the Red Sea. Uh, The Red Sea parted. The the water divided. And you walked through on dry land. Do you remember that? I'm the one who provided for you as you entered this promised land, this land of Canaan. And provided the victory in the battles. Do you remember that? You know, uh, last night was our 175th anniversary dinner celebration thing, which was, it just was really, really cool. Uh, For me, just having come here a year ago, this last year I've kind of immersed myself in the history of North Point. It's been a really cool thing. Um, I've learned about the past pastors. I've learned about the history of the church. And and I I feel like every week I'm talking to people about Merle Eastman or or Sam Wing or Fred Knows, the the guys who have been pastors recently, um, and, uh, and, and to just have a sense of what God has done here. Last night during the celebration, I thought, this is so much like Joshua 24. Because over and over again, Joshua says, don't forget, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Rescued you from slavery. Last night we're talking about the history of God here in this place. Why is it that we need reminded so much? Why is it that the Israelites need reminded so much about God's promise to them? It's not because they were stupid, right? Why do we need reminded so much of God's, about God's faithfulness in our lives? It's not because we're stupid. It's just because life happens and we get distracted, right? We all of a sudden get caught up in the stuff around us and we need reminded over and over again that we're here because of what God has done in the past, that God's working now and that God has a plan for us in the future. He has a purpose for us. I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 24, uh, verse 11. 
Joshua is talking to Israel and says, You went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Pillowfites. Um, it's not really there. And, and God says, And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you. He, that's a reference to something that happens in Exodus 23. If you want to go look that up, God sent hornets into the land of Canaan so that their enemies, the Israelites' enemies, would be confused and dispersed, distracted. And Israel came in and just took over because of the hornets. I sent the hornets before you, which drove, them, drove the people out before you. The two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Joshua says everything that the Israelites had was from God. Recognize this morning that everything that you have in your life that's good comes from God. Just like Israel. Uh, God says, I gave you this land. I gave your enemies in your hand. I'm the one who sent the hornets. I'm the one who drove the people out. I gave you the land. It's a land that you didn't work. You live in cities that you didn't build. You eat fruit that you didn't plant. Everything you have is because of me. You know, is that statement true today? If, if, you're, if you're here, you've got questions, you, you're a skeptic, you think, eh, wait a second. I, I work my job, and no, I didn't plant the, f- the fruit that I eat. I didn't kill the cow that, you know, when I eat my steak. I didn't build the house that I live in, but I have this job, and I exchange the money that I get for my job to be able to have the stuff. I'm the one who does that. Really? Really? You're the one who creates all that stuff for you. To me, it feels a little bit like Al Gore saying that he invented the Internet. You know, really, all that came from you? Do you ever get frustrated when your kids don't appreciate what you give them? You know, when you got that teenager and you buy the used car, you give them the keys to the car, and they drive it for a week or a month, and they say, this car stinks, it's old. It's got problems. It burns oil. It doesn't get very good gas mileage. And it surely doesn't look good for the girls. And you say, oh, really? Who provided that car for you? You take your kids to Florida. You put them on the plane and fly them to Florida to go to Disney. And your kids say, Dad, why can't, why can't we ride in first class like those people? They've got more. Why can't we do that? Dad, why are we at Disney? I don't really want to be at Disney. I want to be at Harry Potter World. I want to be at Universal Studios. Instead, why are we here at Disney? And you say, oh, really? Who bought the tickets for the plane? Who paid for your admission to get into this theme park? What did you do to deserve any of this? When you give an employee a raise at work, And they begin to complain because it's not enough. You hire a person and they say, this job stinks. Oh, really? You know, 
Everything that we have comes from God. Joshua says, let's be clear about this. Everything in your existence is because of the hand of God. And in verse 14, he says, because of that, because I've done it all, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, because God has provided everything for you, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Fear God and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And Joshua says, get rid of the gods, the gods from the people across the river, the gods of the Amorites. We don't serve gods in our culture that are made with hands that we can see. We don't, we don't do that. We don't worship and bow down. But I think that there are some gods in our culture that are very real. I, if you would today, I don't have this on screen, and I, I did it intentionally. I want you to take out a pen from in front of you, find a piece of paper um, in front of you, and I want to list eight gods that I think exist in our culture. Eight gods that exist in our culture And I want you to take this list and to look at it this week and to say, God, am I serving you? Or are these gods the ones that have taken over my life? The first God in our culture, I think, is the God of sports. Ouch. Ouch. Jeff Rouse gives me grief about the shrine to Ohio State I have in my office. The God of sports. There's, a, there's a, a God of education as well. This idea that we've got to have a certain level of ed- education, that we've got to have education from a certain place in order for our life to be meaningful. Remember a conversation I had with a, with a, a teenager a number of years ago that they said, they said, if I don't get into this college, my life is a waste because this is what I want to do. And if I can't get into this college, I'll never get a job in that career. The God of education, the God of pleasure. We live in a culture that feeds us to say, please yourself, do what feels good. Enjoy that pleasure. The God of comfort. We live in a world where we don't want to be bothered with things that are unpleasant. And so we shield ourselves from those things. We shield ourselves from discomfort, from pain, from um, illness. The God of safety. There's a whole lot of us that live in a world where we try and insulate ourselves from any kind of danger. We say to each other, be careful out there. Right? Right? The God of safety. The God of retirement. We live in a culture that says, you know, we've got to do everything that we can to prepare for for that time in our life that we can finish our job and and, and we have the freedom to do anything that we want. The God of retirement. The God of recreation. Of fun and games. 
our lives can sometimes be governed by this whole thing of, of recreation. And the, and the last God is the God of adrenaline. We live in a culture where there are people who are adrenaline junkies, that they jump from item to item to item to item to feel that adrenaline rush because it makes them feel alive. It makes them have the sense that my life has meaning. You know what I didn't list in those eight? I didn't list materialism. And that's the thing that typically in the church we talk about, right? Oh, it's all about stuff. I don't think it's about stuff. I think the stuff is a reflection of those eight things that I mentioned. We have stuff because it pleases us. We have stuff to make our lives comfortable. We have stuff to stay safe. We have stuff so that we can, so that we can experience that adrenaline rush. How do you know if those gods are present in your life? I think there are three filters that help determine that for us. Money, time, and passion. Money, time, and passion will tell you whether that God is a God in your life. Um, Let me just ask a question. How much are you saving for your retirement versus how much you're investing in God's kingdom? Now, some of you are saying, I'm not putting anything aside for retirement. We'll get to you later. All right. Um, And let me let me let me do a disclaimer here first and just kind of a a side thing. Um, I want to talk real clearly in this section about God's about money. Um, And I'm doing it not because we're in any kind of financial issue at church at all. Our giving as a church is eight percent above what it was a year ago for the year, which is incredibly cool. Our giving is our, our expenditures are below budget. So we've been, we've been in the black in a really cool way this year, and that's allowed us to do some neat ministry things, and it's allowed us to respond to a whole bunch of stuff physically with the church um, that we didn't anticipate. We've had to replace two furnaces this year. We've had three floods that downstairs we've had to deal with stuff. Um, it's, God's faithfulness has been really cool. So this is not about money. We've never had to raise an alarm and say, oh, we need more money. Not that at all. The question is where money fits into those gods in your life. How much are you spending on your kids' activities? On soccer, band, camp, tutoring, cheer, lacrosse, football, basketball, baseball. How much are you spending in those areas? How much are you spending on your personal comfort? Your house, your car. How much are you giving to God's kingdom? How much are you spending on your children's college education versus God's kingdom? Money follows vision. Money follows priorities. Where are you spending your money? Because it helps identify the gods in your life, in our lives. Same question, but the question of time. How much time are you spending on your kids' activities? On the front page of the sports section in today's paper, there's an article about softball and the decline of softball in the Lansing area. How would an article on softball find its way into the sermon today? That's the question. In the, um, in the opening paragraph, it talks about the decline of softball from the 1980s till now, and it, it, it identifies it in this way. It said in the 1980s, Family activities focused around the adults. The whole family would come to watch dad play softball. 
And in 2015, everything focuses on the kids, and Dad doesn't have time to play softball. How much time are you spending on your kids' activities? How much time are you spending on ESPN or with fantasy football? How much time do you devote to the lake house, to pleasure, to capturing adrenaline, to working on your yard? Same question about passion. What is it that you are most passionate about? If somebody were to follow you around for a month to evaluate where you're most engaged, most excited, most passionate, what would that be? Most likely, that will expose who or what the gods are in your life. None of those things are inherently bad things. But when they take the place of God, when we have a greater concern for our retirement or our kids' education or our place at the lake or our house than we do for God and His kingdom, and we recognize that all of those things that we have have been given to us by God, They've become idols. And Joshua said to the Israelites, get rid of the idols and serve God. Make your choice. Joshua says, if it's evil in your sight to serve serve the Lord, choose today whom you'll serve. Whether it's the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose today whom you're going to serve. You know, um, business gurus say that there's, uh, that there's five parts of making a decision, of any kind of decision in your life. Five parts. It's interesting I say there's five. Actually, the more engineers that are involved in this discussion, the greater the number gets. I've actually found a flowchart that had 17 levels of uh, pieces in a decision-making process. Crazy thing. But let's just talk about these five. The five components that are involved in making a good decision. First, you've got to identify the decision to be made. In this case, who's going to be in charge of my life? That's, that's the question that Joshua says. Who's, who's going to rule? Identify the decision. List, list your options. You, you really only have two options. Is it going to be Jesus? Or is it going to be you? Who is going to rule your life? The third thing is to study your options. You know, when you think about that relative to this particular idea, this particular concept, it's, you know, on the one hand, if I serve Jesus, it means personal death, right? I die to self. I live selflessly. I live as a servant. I give up control of my life to serve Jesus. I know there's an eternal piece to that, but that's that's the option if I choose, choose to follow Jesus. If I serve myself, there's independence, And freedom and pleasure, I can do what I want. And I know, yeah, the Bible talks about hell and all that stuff, but I can experience all this stuff now. You study your options. You make your decision. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. And then you evaluate your decision. You know, even in the short term, when you talk about following Jesus and you you say, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it means that I give up control of my life. Even in the midst of that, even in the midst of death to self, Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it to the full. Abundant life. Even when you die to self, stuff changes here in in an incredibly cool way. And on the other hand, 
If you choose to set yourself on the throne, to live according to what you desire, even in the midst of all of that independence and freedom and pleasure, there's a whole lot of pain in there. Broken relationships, anger, stuff that happens as a result of our choices. Joshua says, choose today who you're going to serve. And, and here's the Rick Rubel version, the translation of these next verses of Scripture. The, the people say, absolutely, we're going to serve God. We won't forsake God. God's done incredible things in our lives. We're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua says, shut up. You can't know what you're saying. God is holy. God's jealous. He will destroy you if you follow those other gods after all the incredible things that he's done in your life. And the people said, no, really, really, we're going to serve God. And Joshua said, okay, mark it down. Your words are your bond. And the Israelites say, absolutely, bond, James Bond, we're there, we're in. Joshua says, if that's the case, get rid of your stinking idols and give your hearts to the Lord. And the Israelites say, we will serve, we will serve God. His voice will obey. That's really what happened. Listen to these verses uh, beginning at 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord. He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you aren't able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having, have, having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve His voice, we will obey. Let me pause just for a second, because in the middle of that, Joshua says, you you don't understand. God is a holy God. He's a jealous God. What's what's that mean for us? Because God has said He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's it mean for God to be holy? It means that He is completely good in every fiber of His being. That he never does anything with bad motives. He, um, he never, um, he never uh, hurts us. He never, um, he, he never wants evil for us. He only wants the best. God in his holiness cannot allow sin to be in his presence. He can't have it that way. God's holy and he's jealous. We think most of the time jealous is a bad word, right? It's wrong to be jealous. I don't think so. I, I want my wife to be jealous of me. You know? If, if a lady 
starts moving in on me, I want her to go, ah, you know, to do the cat thing. I want her to be jealous, right? God is a jealous God. He doesn't want our attention, our affection to go anyplace except to Him. He's the one who made us, who desires that relationship with Him perfectly. God's a jealous God. Sadly, the commitment of the Israelites didn't last. If you go to Judges chapter 2, it says this, All that generation were gathered to their fathers, the people died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They served the other gods. You know, it cracks me up when people say the Bible's not relevant. That the stories from thousands of years ago don't have really much application for my life today. There are no parallels really between what happened in Scripture and what happens now because people are so much smarter now than they were back then. Life was so much simpler back then. It's, you know, it's so complex right now. Um, we've, you know, we've evolved way past that. Um, I'm betting that that conversation between Joshua and the Israelites is a conversation that you've had in your home before if you had kids. It goes like this. Dad, can I have a puppy? I really want a puppy. And the dad says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't want a puppy. You can't take care of a puppy. You can't even pick up your socks. And the kid says, no, dad, really, really, I'll take care of the puppy. I'll teach him to obey. I'll train him on where to go to the bathroom. I'll clean up after him. I'll walk him every day. I will, dad, I will. And the dad says, so you're telling me that if we get this puppy, you're going to train the dog. You're going to clean up after the dog. You're going to walk the dog every day. Can I write that down? Have you sign it and put it on the refrigerator? Absolutely. Dad, I'll do it. I'll sign it and put it on the refrigerator. I'll read it every day. I'll do it. I will. I will. That's the conversation that Joshua had with the Israelites. What about, what about at work? You know, we say, ah, I think we should take on this client. It's going to be extra work. I'll, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'll do everything that's necessary to, to help accomplish this. And it doesn't happen. Human beings haven't changed a bit since the time of Joshua. That's what makes Joshua's statement to the Israelites so powerful. Choose today who you'll serve. Jesus, or Luke said in, in, um, Luke said in 14th chapter about Jesus, he said, Great crowds accompanied Jesus. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yeah, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to compare? Complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, everybody who sees it begins to mock him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a, a, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who doesn't renounce all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. Choosing, choosing means saying yes to someone or something and saying no to others. When you choose to lose weight, you say yes to exercise and healthier eating and smaller portions or less calories. And you say no to donuts and cake and cookies and ice cream and pies, at least in the same way that you had said yes to them before. When you choose that new job, you you often say yes to more responsibility and more hours, to more stress and a more demanding boss. And by default, you say no to other relationships and activities that you've valued in the past. When you choose your husband or wife, you say yes to them and no to everyone else. What's it mean to choose to follow Jesus? What's that look like? It starts real simple. It it starts with just understanding that there is a God who loves you incredibly, who created you and made you to be in relationship with Him. And you chose to walk away. When you sinned, when you violated who God was, His nature, you chose to walk away. But God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to pay the debt for that sin. He sent Jesus to reconcile you, to bring you back to Him, to bring you back into that relationship. Think about that. God loved you that much. So to choose Jesus means that you say yes to Him. It means that you say no to all those other gods. It means that you say, God, I believe who you are. I believe that you love me. I believe that you want me. I, I believe that your word's true. And I'm willing to risk everything to follow you. You repent of what, what's happened in the past. You turn and say, I don't want to live that way anymore. You confess your sins. You confess Jesus as Lord. And, and you make a public declaration of that. You, you be baptized to follow Jesus into a new life. You know, it would be really easy to finish today's message and to say, you know, everybody bow their heads and I'm going to ask some questions and if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to do that today. It would be really easy to have everybody stand for us to sing and say, if you want to choose to follow Jesus today in a new way, come down front. It would be easy to do that. I'm not going to do that either. Because here's the deal. When Joshua said to the nation of Israel, you choose today whom you're going to serve. You choose They had to take initiative. Individually, they had to decide, am I going to choose to follow God or not? And that's where we are today. That's where we are right now. I do want to do something different. Um, If if you're at a place that, that you feel like, you know, if somebody wants to come into a relationship with Jesus, I would love to help walk that through with them. I'd love to talk to them. I'd I'd, I'd just, God's done incredible work in my life. And I would love to be able to pass that on to somebody else. If, if that's you, would you stand up right now? If, if you'd be willing to have somebody talk to you about following Jesus, would you just stand up? Very cool. Very, very cool. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know what it means to follow him, I, oftentimes I say, find me, find Chris, find an elder or a leader here at the church. I'm just saying to you today, find one of the people who are standing up right now. After the service, say, I want to figure this out. Can you help me? 
and they will. Let's pray. God, um, the enormity of this moment weighs heavy. Because God, for many of us, like the Israelites, we have chosen to follow you in the past. And we've walked away and served the other gods. We've restructured our lives to not follow you, but to follow them. God, I ask that you would help us today to grapple with that decision to serve you with sincerity and faithfulness, to fear you, God, to understand your holiness and your jealousy and that we would choose to follow you no matter what. God, I pray right now for people who who are maybe thinking, I don't know what to do. I, I I want to believe. I want to follow, but I don't know. God, fill them with your spirit. Don't leave them alone, God. Bring them into conversations with people. Help them to see your hand in their lives. That we may choose to follow you. To say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.